yes. Welcome to this fourth edition on the Social Suplex Podcast Network of Meet the Press Slam. And I am delighted to be joined by one of the brethren of the Social Suplex Podcast Network. I should, I think I should be transferred to be being called the young boy because I'm 26 and this guy's 34. So, <laughs> so Josh, young boy Smith, how are you doing? I'm good, man. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm happy to do this. I think I'm the first uh, member of the social suplex podcasting network that's actually been on the show, right? Yes, you are. Okay, cool. Uh, well, because I had the first one for a Cody breaking news audio, but that's on Meets Press Slam. But ah, okay, so saving the best for first. So uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, we always bury Caleb. <laughs> yeah, uh, fuck Caleb. No, but uh, thanks for having me on. And um, yeah, funny thing. So years ago, before I was like a regular podcaster, I had a uh, joined. Um, a couple episodes with Rich and James of One Nation Radio where like I literally had no idea what I was doing. I never right. recorded audio, but I was like, wouldn't it be funny if I had like a gimmick? You know what I mean? Right. And so my initial idea was I'm the gentleman Joshua Smith, like gentleman Chris Adams, you know, with you know, the fucking like uh jacket and the British thing and everything like that. But I felt like I did so bad on the first couple like episodes we ever did. We're talking like almost a decade ago. Where I was like, bro, that was terrible. Like, I don't even deserve to have a gimmick anymore. You guys should just call me the young boy. And like, Rich was like, huh, I kind of like that. It's kind of smooth, you know? Like, you know, taking all context aside, you know, the young boy. Then later on, years later, we ended up doing the New Japan podcast. And, like, the young boy thing had already, like, sort of stuck. So that's kind of the origination of why, you know, even at 34 years old, I'm still referred to as the young boy, Josh Smith. Yes, that that's fantastic storytelling there. Um, so I used to call into a podcast called the wrestling soup mm. back in what, when was it like 2010, when I was like 14 years old, I went under the moniker WWE versus TNA. <laughs> I was edgy even back then. <laughs> God. <laughs> God, you were like you're booking like uh dream shows between the two of them, like you know, Undertaker versus Abyss and shit like that. I, I, I don't even know what I was doing, man. I would call <laughs> in, it would be they would play Umbop. <laughs> it was it was just it was just insanity back then, but it was all I'll tell you what fun being on the message boards back then, like in like 2005, you couldn't tell me that there wouldn't have been a greater match in the world than AJ Styles and Shawn Michaels in like 05. That was like my like, dun, 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 like my heartbeat, like hair raising type of like, I, I always wanted to see that match. It was like my dream. Yeah. And we all, yeah, we might, we might get it, but <laughs> we might not. Yeah. If they, you if never they know, uh, throw Trump, enough Saudi money, you never know. Again. But when did That's you funny. become a wrestling fan? Yeah, so um, I guess that's the reason we're here recording the show. So uh, my history of wrestling, it's kind of interesting. Um, growing up, I actually don't have any memories before I was a wrestling fan. Wow. You know, so like my earliest memories, um, 
I was born in 1988, and my family were diehard wrestling fans. Uh, grew up in the Detroit area, so I mean, like, uh, you know, my dad, his family, they'd seen like the Sheik and Bobo Brazil, and you know, big time wrestling, everything from Detroit, everything like that. And then um, we were in the area where during the territories we were getting television from, you know, uh, both WWF as well as like Crockett. So my family was kind of like watching both and we, they saw like a lot of the like Madison Square Garden, you know, house shows and stuff right. like that. And then uh, funny enough, my, the first wrestling show I attended was a show where I wasn't even born yet, technically speaking. My mom was pregnant with me at, at uh, Kobo Arena the night that, um, not Terry Garvin, um, not Jimmy Garvin. Oh, what, what's his name? Who? Ronnie Garvin. Ronnie Garvin. The night Ronnie Garvin came off the top rope in the steel cage match against Ric Flair and beat him for the NWA title, my family was there, and uh, you know my mom was pregnant with me. So technically, that's the first show I ever like attended. But um, you're destined for this shit. Yeah, <laughs> but you know the funny thing is like uh, I wouldn't call it destined. I think I was uh, programmed because like my dad, my brother, they both watched it, and then like my grandfather on my mom's side you know they're puerto rican and mexican so like he was sending me like tapes from like cmll and AAA and like lucha libre and stuff like that like in the mail so i didn't even know really what it was but i was watching like a lot of that plus like sometimes he would send me like uh the original glow you know uh oh yeah you actually can watch that uh they they show glow on um pluto Pluto, yeah, and I I've gone back and watched some of it. It's hilarious. Like, uh, that stuff. So if if you're like, you it's know, altered trap, yeah. If you're in an altered mind state, that's some of the best wrestling you can watch. <laughs> but um, no, I had some Pluto of that growing up. That too for a lot of things, people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my earliest memories were like Hulk Hogan. That was like, uh, you know, he's racist and terrible human being but like growing up that was like my ultimate ultimate like hero uh the first wrestling toy i remember was like a, a hulk hogan shampoo bottle where his head was like the cap would screw off and uh, i remember like having that and playing with that uh but the the thing that influenced me the most and the reason that like i'm a diehard wrestling fan my family had bought uh i don't know where probably at the video store they bought the uh turner classic home video Starcade best of 1983 to 1987 and so like i like you know some kid i think most kids kind of like have that phase where they find something that they really like and they watch it every day you know like for my sister it was like beauty and the beast she watched that like every right. day and lots of kids have stuff like that well for me it was like rick flair versus harley race in the cage every day i was watching like Starcade. <laughs> you're watching Star. you're raised on the good stuff uh, yeah, and I mean, um, that was like a, a really rare tape, and I didn't know. I didn't know that people didn't see this stuff. You know, like I assumed most wrestling fans were very familiar with, you know, the Crockett <laughs> uh, territory and everything like that. And I didn't oh, know. Oh, you would be sadly mistaken. Yeah, I had no idea. Uh, but like, yeah, growing up, um, Piper and Valentine and the uh, all collar. And the dog collar match, uh, you know, Night of the Skywalkers, the um, freaking, uh, <laughs> what's it called? 
uh, uh, the scaffold match. Oh, it's good. Scaffold, uh, yes. I thought you were going to say Black Scorpion. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, Dusty and, and Ric Flair, you know, at the 84 and the 85. Was Tully like, Magnum on that tape? Tully Magnum is on that tape. And, oh. like, I actually have a Tully Magnum shirt. And I was out with my dad recently. And I, I was like, I was like, look at my shirt. And he's like, oh, man, that match is incredible. It's so vicious. And I'm like, dude, why'd you let me watch that? at like three and like two years old like i was watching that daily like that's kind of fucked up if you think about it like it's one like grown man stabbing another dude in the face with a uh, wooden spike like it's not what little kids should be watching but i was so that's kind of like human being now (laughs) (laughs) i try to be but that's kind of what um really influenced me and then you know, while growing up watching WCW and watching WWF and then just my family influences, like I was obsessed with it, like still am and, and always have been. And that's kind of in a nutshell how I started as a wrestling fan, really. How how did you get into the Japanese stuff? That that's the main world since you are now the co-host of keeping it strong style on <laughs> social suplex podcast network uh the japanese stuff is a big influence on you now yeah so i mean it's kind of twofold i mean um i think some of my early like uh exposures to japanese wrestling were probably a lot of the like wcw crossover stuff so you know when they would bring in muda when they'd bring in liger and nami you know to a lesser degree yeah guys like fujinami and chono and all that but like um they would show the clips. Uh, it wasn't just that they were coming over, but it was like when they would show those vignettes and you would see them in the Tokyo Dome on the blue mat with, you know, the, the even the turnbuckles just looking different because they didn't have like the turnbuckle pads, but they had like the boxing pads. And I'm like, whoa, that's so weird over there. Like what's going, you know, I, I wanted to like find out more about what that actually was. I had no idea. Um, so that was like the first you know, kind of introduction, plus a lot of the video games, um, especially like in the later 90s, like NW or WCW versus the world for PlayStation, you know, playing that game, I had no idea until much later that all those, you know, characters were actually Japanese wrestlers, you know? That was, and like, this is the second time on this show we've been mentioning WCW versus the world, and it was a flagship topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, that game, um, you know, there were guys on there. I was like, oh, they got a guy that looks like Baba. But then I was like, uh, later on, I'm like, oh, it just flat out was Baba, and, you know, and so on and so forth. So, I mean, that was part of it. But the big exposure, the one thing that really exposed me, my brother was a um, martial artist and, you know, very into MMA, you know. And so, like, in in the early, like, 90s slash like mid 90s he was trying to get his hands on any kind of like major tournament like sort of uh uh footage that existed out there and there was like a lot of proto mma and what we ended up like through trade through like tape trading we ended up like getting exposed to like early like shudo pancrase uwf uwfi and, like, we'd watch it where, like, we couldn't tell what, you know, is like, we're, like, some of this is, you know, this ring stuff is a little different than this stuff. And, like, we ended up, like, uh, watching a lot of MMA, but we also ended up watching what we didn't realize at the time was pro wrestling. We thought 
a lot of it was like actual fighting, but we're like, eh, it's weird. Sometimes they're doing pins, sometimes they're not, what, you know, and it wasn't always clearly labeled. So we didn't know what, where this stuff was coming from, but he would just send away for it and like trade. And that was like a lot of my early exposure to Perezu. And I didn't even realize I was watching it. I thought I was watching like real martial arts, which I guess technically it kind of was, but that's sort of the beginning for me. Um, and then the coup de gras that really sealed it, uh, aside from just the internet coming along and making things accessible, was Mick Foley and the IWA King of the Death Match 95 tournament. Um, I didn't see that till much later, but seeing that on like WWF and seeing the footage of him going into the C4 and the time boards and you know the razor wire and everything like that, I was like, holy fuck, like I gotta find that. And then when the internet came along, actually getting into that. So like the two things for me was like the deathmatch stuff, the, you know, the, the shoot style. And then obviously eventually I found Jacob. And once, once you, once you start seeing Liger and Jacob, it's, it's done. It's done. Yeah. It's over. And, you know, seeing ghetto and Taka and Eddie and, you know, Jericho, Ray, Hoovy, all those guys over there doing this incredible stuff. That's sort of like what really synced it in for me. And then, you know, at some point, I just I think once I became like more aware of wrestling ratings and things like that from like message boards, and I learned who Dave Meltzer was. And I was like, oh, there's this guy. He like rates matches. I need, to, and then I was like, oh, there's this guy named Mizawa, who's got more great matches than anyone ever. I need to find this stuff. So then, then that brought me into like all Japan, you know. And I was probably watching it six, seven, eight years later after it occurred. Like, no, was already happening, but I'm like just starting to watch all japan you know what i mean i i i had that search when he died so <laughs> yeah i had that search like like i was like that's how i died i i hear i hear about it on the internet of course because i was 13 years old i was on the internet internet accessible at this point i was torrenting indie shows at this point mm. um and i'm like who the hell is this Masawa guy and why is he the greatest wrestler of all time <laughs> Yeah, um, it's actually funny. Um, on the first episode of One Nation Radio I did, this is like 2013, so like literally almost a decade ago. Um, on the show, one someone from the group went back and listened to it. And, and on the show, I was like, I kind of like Japanese wrestling, but I'm not like that into it. And then uh, they like brought it up. They're like, yeah, you said you weren't that into Japanese wrestling. And I was like, yeah, but you have to understand, man. I was on message, like I was on the Death Valley driver video review boards, like at that time. And so me saying that I'm not that into it meant like I was watching it all the time, but compared to like the old head dudes that were on there that knew everything, I was nothing. I didn't realize I like at that time, I first time going on a podcast, A, I was nervous. B, I, I didn't know who I was dealing with. Like, I didn't even know Rich and James that well at the time. And so I'm like, they might know way more about this than I do. So I'm not going to claim to be an expert on it, even though looking back, I'm like, I probably could have talked, you know, at length about the pillars and about the history of Japanese wrestling and, you know, Ricky Dozan and all that shit. Like, (laughs) so it's funny when you first do a podcast and I I first did my podcast in 2014 um, called get in the ring. And it was a chat. It evolved from this guy from a show called The Chat Down, which he huh. went, the, the, my original co-host went to cover WWE only, and I was relenting against it because I was like, 
there's this big boom in Japan. There's this big boom in Japan. There's this big boom in Japan. Yeah. I was just screaming it from the ranch. And so I said, I'm just going to do an hour beforehand, before the chat down, called Get in the Ring, and just lay waste on everything else happening in the world of wrestling. And nice. I ended up being right. <laughs> me, 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 me. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. 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 So. I think I think um you're absolutely right. Like around that time there was definitely a boom. Um I had like around that time even kind of fallen out a bit with uh watching Japanese wrestling just because like it wasn't that easily accessible, you know. Um I think for a few years there with like Enochism too and then the you stream hour. Yeah. Yeah. That was sort of like it was, you know, I thought it was kind of cool. Era. It was Jamal Hepburn, or God rest his soul. And yeah. Putting in the work on daily. Yeah, those, those real heroes, guys, you, Every you, you couldn't find anything except for through them. And, um, yeah. that, you know, that Japanese wrestling group was everything. I think the three things that like had kind of crashed uh, around, relatively speaking, was like, you know, um, all Japan sort of like losing their TV deal. Noah kind of losing with after the death of Mizawa starting to go downhill. And then Enochism, like, uh, and then just the real, like the hard entry of barrier or barrier of entry to even watch uh, the Japanese wrestling. I'd kind of like fallen out a bit around that time, but I was hearing good things about new Japan. So like by the time Wrestle Kingdom nine comes around, that's where I was like, okay, like, and I was still watching like some of the big matches, but I was like, right. maybe I should like get back into this because it seems like with this new streaming service, they're going to make it like more accessible. And so that's sort of what wrangled me back. Look, what happened. It, you know? Look we were right. We were yeah. right. We were right. And it would lead to the second biggest American promotion, the most successful American promotion in the, in modern history. So I, I, I'm just saying this revolution is something not to be antiquated. Yeah. This revolution of newsletter readers, this revolution of people who know their crap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, I think, I think AEW and New Japan are, and they're going to sell out the United Center and people are going to be flabbergasted. Yeah, I would love to be at that show. I'm I'm still thinking about it. I found, uh, you know, um, I was looking at, like, tickets, and they were kind of insane. But now I found an affordable ticket, but then all the other costs and expenses, like lodging, travel, food, even um, even just, like, I don't know specific – well, I, know, I don't want to peel back the barrier too much. We have an inside guy who, like, uh, was able to get us a suite, but like even the suite tickets, I was like, damn, it's so, <laughs> you know, I don't want to spend a G to go watch a show that I can like stay home and watch, you know, uh, spend $50 on to you right. know, watch. So, no. but the environment there is what will be incredible. <laughs> I'm sure it will be. I was in Chicago for All In in 2019, and that was to this date the greatest uh, wrestling environment I've ever been a part of. So, I'm definitely jealous. I think they've done a really smart thing there, uh, picking Chicago for this show because even right now with like uh, air flights like surging, they don't need a flying crowd to sell this show out 
provided that they have punk on top because they're in Chicago. You know, the, just the draw of New Japan AEW is going to be a huge thing. That market's so hot. And if punk's on top and he's wrestling, you know, an Okada or Tanahashi or something like that, it's going to sell out. So that was kind of smart on their part to do it there. Yeah, it, it, it is very smart. And, you know, I, I, I just think people underestimating this thing, right? this movement is so insane. People underestimating everything that has come in the last few years. Like, oh, it's not going to get bigger. Oh, it's gotten bigger. Oh, yeah, they're not going to do this right. Oh, they did. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely. Um, I mean, I'm definitely a fan of, like, AEW. I wouldn't say that I, I'm not. Uh, I watch it right. every week on Wednesday. But, um, you know, I'm just glad that there is an alternative that's out there that exists for the, you know, I know that the term casual fan is sort of thrown about. But, like, for just regular people that want to watch wrestling on TV, they don't want to, like, download a streaming service or like go on to daily motion. There's just regular ass wrestling that they can turn on on TV. Yep. It's there. Tony Khan's done that. So, you know, good on them. I'm glad that that exists. And generally speaking, <laughs> generally speaking, I mean, everything's not for me either, but I'm like, I'm right. Damn well, it damn well exists because. Well, you know, uh, my wheelhouse isn't just Japanese wrestling. A lot of like my um, wrestling fandom kind of revolves around classic, you know, especially like eighties wrestling. So, I mean, uh, the more you kind of know about that era, the more you see the fingerprint of it all over uh, AEW. What's old is new again. Most of the storylines are kind of old, you know, mid South and uh, you know, Crockett and, you know, fucking Tennessee and Memphis storylines, stuff from Portland and shit like that. Yeah, a lot of continental shit, and uh, which is smart because not everybody knows that that's what they're doing, but, you know, hey, Mid-South fucking ruled. They've taken, like, ten storylines from them and applied it. I love it. Yeah, Bill Watts was actually pretty smart, and (laughs) (laughs) wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know what's funny? Shout out. People people hate uh the Bill Watts WCW era, but that's probably my favorite era of the company, to be honest. I, I, honestly, that might be my favorite era of the company. Like the 91-92 WCW. 92 WCW rules. Like um, there's a lot of misses, but I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like, I love all that stuff from that time period, like Sting and Dragon and Dangerous Alliance and uh, you know, miracle violence connections there. The Steiners are there. Nineteen ninety two is awesome. Yeah, it, it it really is awesome. It really is awesome, and I I just feel very much appreciate appreciated for everything that it is. You know. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so that's sort of like the story of all this. It's just like, just keep on going. You know, (laughs) you know, you just got to keep on going. But Mm -hmm. what are some of your favorite matches? Oh, man, Uh, favorite matches. I could go, (laughs) 
I could go on all day about matches. Like, um, man, I don't even know. Uh, Joe versus Kobashi from Ring of Honor. That's got to be one of them. Um, the Fantastics versus uh, Midnight Express series, especially the one for the the worldwide match with with the double heat. That one's incredible. Um, right. Magnum and Tully, uh, Piper Valentine. That stuff uh, stands out to me. Uh, the entire Okada Omega series. Yeah. Uh, once we start getting into New Japan, I mean, it's over. Like, there's so many uh, matches that I love. I mean, Tanahashi and Okada. Um, Abushi Tanahashi from the G1 Finals is, like, one of the most emotional matches of all time. Abushi Nakamura. You know, I, I love Abushi Nakamura. I'm not as high on that match. As it, like, I recognize how great it is, and I'm not even going to sit here and right. say it's not, like, a five-star classic, but... If I was talking about my favorites, it's not one of my favorites. I don't like go go back and rewatch it the same way uh, everyone else does. You know what I mean? Like from that night, I like the Tanahashi Okada match better. Yeah, I like the Tanahashi Okada match, but I like their G one match better. The Abushi Nakamura. Uh, Abushi Nakamura, yeah, that the Abushi Nakamura G one match is incredible, um, and that that might be the better match, uh, but it doesn't get the same kind of like rose is thrown at it you know what i mean um there's a lot uh you know what you know what's a funny match that i love that like <laughs> i shouldn't love it but i love nick aldis versus cody from all in um that's a match that like i recognize how flawed it is but like being there live and hearing the crowd reaction i just fucking love that match uh, for whatever reason i don't know <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, there's so many other matches. I mean, Kobashi, Mizawa, um, I don't even know. Uh, all the Hashimoto versus uh, Tenru matches. Like, I could just go on for days and days. Like, this, you know, it, it's weird to even, like, think about that question because I'm just like, oh, I'm, like, trying to go through the catalog of, of you know, Great matches. matches. Austin and, and Sean, uh, or I'm sorry, Austin and uh, Brett. Uh, Austin Sean's pretty good too. <laughs> Austin Sean's good too. You know that the King of the Ring match that ends in a DQ, I think, is actually almost better, uh, except for the worst finish. You know, and obviously not the same stage, but like from an in-ring perspective. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, oh, and I mean, Flair, uh, all the Flair Steamboat matches. Um, geez, like there's just so many. You know, like there's a lot of incredible wrestling that exists out there. <laughs> Yeah, it's so much. And there's a great podcast that delves into great wrestling on this podcast network called Great Mass <laughs> Generator, hosted by yours, Julie and Adam Yuri. But yeah, you, you, I love what you guys do. Um, you know, like it's very like eclectic, just the wide range of stuff that you guys cover. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, on one episode, you might get something from like Perezu and then like 90s indie and then like a shoot style match it's weird yeah 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 we had too much shoot style in like a three-week span like we're like we're so sick of shoot style oh i fucking love it i love it i love shoot wrestling like uh yeah uh akira maeda put that into my veins you know what i mean yeah mr terminus truther (laughs) i hate terminus (laughs) i i would love for terminus to be good like 
I thought that Terminus was going to basically be a new age joint promotions type yeah. of, you know, um, or even like and it's not, and it's not even anything close to. Oh, yeah, a few years ago, I got really big into uh, British like uh, shoot stuff or British uh, world sport like style wrestling, and you know, I love that stuff. We are watching the Brit. We're watching Jim Breaks versus John Cortez on our next episode. Dude, John Cortez might be the greatest wrestler that nobody talks about. Um, I mean, he's incredible. There's um, some really good John Cortez matches. John Cortez versus Steve Gray and uh, John Hayward. Those matches, like Steve Gray's my favorite British-style wrestler. Uh, he's like just this little spry escape-style wrestler. He's incredible. Rollerball Rocco. Uh, Johnny Saint, all those guys. Like, I fucking love British style. Are, are, are you a big, big daddy fan? <laughs> no, no, I can't. I can't say that I am. I don't like any Shirley Crabtree matches. I've never seen a good one that, it, you know, on tape ever. <laughs> so you, you're not for him for the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame? No, I think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I think he's a slam dunk, and the fact that he's not in there is extremely egregious. But but you're like he's a bad wrestler, but but he deserves to be There's, in the hall. Yeah, I mean, going into the hall of fame isn't all based on uh, technical Work acumen. Right. Hulk it's Hogan's in the hall of fame. Hey, I think Hulk Hogan's a great worker. So, <laughs> hey, hey, yeah, true. I Watch that great Luda match. Tell me, he's not a great worker. Yeah, I could probably give you like 15 matches of Hulk Hogan's that I think are very good. Now, do I think he's like an all-time great worker? No, yeah. not at all. But, um, you know, I think he is a very, very good wrestler. I, I always have thought that. I, I think Hulk Hogan's good. I was just joking about that. No, no, no. There, you know, and it's fine. There's people he's not to their taste. Uh, you know, I don't find myself these days watching a lot of Hulk Hogan, considering everything that's gone down. But, uh you know, I mean, there was a time prior to the the racist allegations where, like, I was working on a uh, an article. Uh, I, I never ended up printing it, but, like, I pretty much compiled, like, a list of what I consider to be, like, Hulk Hogan's best matches year by year from, like, 19, I think, like, 80 up until, like, the end of his, uh, you know, run. And, like, almost every year he's in something that is worthwhile. Good. Yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah, he wanted to turn it on. He could even in WCW. He still had the the ability to do that. Yeah, true. Um, also, I think who else, who else would categorize, who categorize as an underrated but but fun wrestler to look at? Um, well, I mean, it depends, you know, because I mean, like. Um, a lot of the, the names that qualify, I think, are names that have kind of been lost to time or maybe are famous in their region but aren't necessarily remembered so well by modern uh, wrestling fans. You know, like, for instance, for me, like, uh, I think one of the greatest um, luchadors that's ever lived, El Dandy. And I know, like, yes. the, the only joke about El Dandy is the Bret Hart joke, like, who are you to question El Dandy? But, like, what's funny about that shit is, like, in the 80s and in the early 90s, that was, like, a real thing. Like, 
who would you be to question El Dandy? The guy could high fly, the guy could chain grapple, the guy could uh, brawl with the best of them. He could bleed. He could be. He was a fantastic heel. He could get sympathy. Right. Um, he was good at every single aspect of pro wrestling on an extremely high level. Now, like, I think his peak is short lived. I think it's only like three or four years. But like at the peak of El Dandy's like heights and prowesses, like, fuck, I think he's one of the greatest wrestlers ever, and <laughs> no one else does. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great example, actually. Um, everyone thinks Negro Casas is great, too. Um, Negro Casas is so great at everything. He's incredible. I, I even remember back in, like, I mean, this is a while back, but, like, in 2016, I just randomly caught a uh, CMLL, you know, show that was just airing on, I think, like, Televisa. And it was two out three falls match. It was him and some young cat. And like, he was just still as good as he ever was. And I'm like, God, like, you know, he's not that far off in age from like Ric Flair. Ric Flair, like had the longevity of, of some of the greatest, but like, even he can't go on the level that like Negro Casas is still wrestling at a super high level right now. <laughs> yeah, bruh. It's bizarre. Uh, it's uh, sting too. Sting. Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. And what's funny is, like, Sting's almost kind of regenerated. There was, like, a time period where, like, Sting was not really great. And, it like, I think Sting in 2022 is better than, like, Sting in 2014. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah, it is. Because they not. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, it's so weird how that is, you know. Um, so weird. Um, well. I'm trying to think of any any other questions I would have. Hey, the time's yours. You can ask away, man. I'm here at your disposal. Let's let's talk one of your favorite heels of all time. Some of your favorite heels. Oh, um, well, I mean, obviously Ric Flair. Um, Like almost in every iteration of his career. I mean, I think he's like the consummate professional heel i mean um i remember literally times where growing up in a very like religious home uh, and also not being fully smartened up like only halfway smartened up to what was going on um not just understanding how hulk hogan couldn't beat the four horsemen you know and literally like praying to god like god please like let hulk hogan come back and beat beat these dudes because you know I, I couldn't understand how they were getting away with all this cheating and Arne, they put Arne Anderson over Hulk Hogan on fucking Nitro. Like, <laughs> like how is this possible? But, um, yeah, I mean, you look at everything from, like, Flair's run in the 80s and stuff he did with Ricky Morton and, uh, you know, Dusty and everybody like that. I mean, it's just some of the best, like, television that there's ever been. One of the greatest heel promos of all time. The, the feud with... Uh, Macho Man in, in 92 is something that shouldn't have worked, but still did work. Right. Um, they, they tried really hard to, to, like, give Flair bullshit the entire time that he was in his run in WWF. And he took chicken shit and turned it into, uh, or, you know, yeah, turn it into chicken salad. Like, he, he was incredible. Um, big fan of uh, Nick Bockwinkle. I love his promos, completely different style than Flair, but like kind of a similar deal. 
you know, just the fact that like he's the best in the world. He's un, you know, you know, unapproachable in terms of like his technical acumen, and he's he beats everybody because he's the best. And uh, you know, him and Bobby Heenan together, like Bobby Heenan to me is like probably one of, if not the greatest, uh, heel manager that's out there. I, right. I love that combination. Um, Vader, one of my favorite guys for different reasons. I love the combination of him and Harley Race. Oh yeah, that was so good. Him just being terrifying, you know, and just running roughshod over, you know, the WCW locker room, and you know, pretty much the funny thing is like, uh, you look at Vince, and I know I'm going a little off topic, but you look at like how many guys that he received from the outside that were huge stars and made money everywhere else, and then they come to WWF, and he does so much less with them than what he could have. You know, Legion of Doom, Steiner Brothers, they stick out in my mind. Ric Flair is another one. But Vader is probably, like, the most glaring example. Because, I mean, there's nowhere that – I mean, look at where he went. Everywhere he went, whether it was Germany, whether it was Japan, you know. Mexico. Whether that Mexico. Uh, and then, you know, WCW. And, and every single time, they had some sort of, like, incredible baby face that he came in and he fucked up and he destroyed. And then he runs – he goes on a monster run and then eventually that baby face, whether it was Sting or whether it was Otto Vons or whether it was Anoki or whether it was Kinect, it doesn't matter who it was. They eventually beat him back and then they draw some of the biggest business that their company has ever done. And the only, the only time that that didn't work was in WWF when it was Sean and <laughs> they go the totally opposite way and, and job him out in the first big match. And it's just crazy. But like, yeah, I mean, uh, those guys stick out to me. Um, CM Punk as a heel. Yeah. Is uh, Danielson as a heel. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to give you a name of a couple guys. And I have this 2001 PWI Mac. Sure. Um, I'm going to give you a couple names from the 2000 PWI 500. Okay. And, And you just tell me your initial thoughts on them. Okay. I'm gonna give you an easy one. Kensuke Sasaki. Um underrated. Um, you know, maybe overpushed at the same time, but uh, you know, ass kicker. I love him. El Hio del Santo. He was number Oh 15. man. Yeah, I love El Hijo del Santo. Um I don't I don't think he gets all the flowers that are deserved to him, but um him and La Parca has like one of some of the, my favorite like bloody feud matches of all time. So yeah, big fan. Yuji Nagata. Oh man. Yuji's just one of the best, even to this day. I, I fucking love Yuji Nagata. Um, I really wish they wouldn't have put him in those MMA fights with Fedor and uh, Krokop back in the day. But other than those missteps, I mean, Nagata's just, he's one of the greatest ever. Edge. Overrated. <laughs> 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 a tag team My guy. Thumbs up. No, you know what? I actually let me take that back. I like I like Edge prior to this return. Almost everything he did, I I think Edge was actually one of the best heels in WWF history, and um, a, a, a fantastic wrestler. But I've not been a fan of almost anything he's done since he came back. Blue Panther. Um, is that that's Blue Panther Senior? Blue Panther, the the, the more famous one. Okay. 
Uh, yeah, Blue Panther. Um, you know, funny thing, I haven't seen too much tape of Blue Panther, but I mean, you know, um, yeah, obviously that that matches the year contender with Biano three at, in two thousand. Uh, the mascara. Who no, that's Atlantis. Atlantis Biano three. Oh yeah, yeah. Which oh, which I got are, those two trapped up. But Blue Panther is awesome. Uh, yeah, I actually haven't seen that much Blue Panther, but I've definitely seen the Atlantis Biano three match, which is one of the most emotional, you know, uh, mask versus mask matches of all time. Uh, incredible. Brian Christopher. Uh, you know, Grandmaster Two Sex A. <laughs> Chris Christopher Daniels. Um, the Fallen Angel, the Godfather of indie wrestling, um, one of the greats. Yeah. Um, I'll do two more. I'll do Great Sasuke. Uh, a, a fucking insane wild man who will do anything to, you know, entertain. Just incredible. And then one of the greatest Japanese wrestlers of all time, Tenru Genichiro. Yeah. Genichiro uh, Tenru. I love Tenru. Um, I think he's one of the greatest workers, and I'm not just talking about in-ring. I'm talking about in all aspects of life. Tenru never loses. He Tenru never – Who are the three people that never lose? Tenru, Jeff Jarrett, and Rick Flair. Those three people yeah. never lose. I, I don't know about all that, but, like, every time I hear people talk about Jeff Jarrett never loses, I just think Tenru never loses. Tenru <laughs> always comes out on top. Um, and, yeah, I love Tenru. One of the stiffest strikers – that there ever were, um, you know, just his fingerprints are all over Japanese pro wrestling. I mean, so much of what I love about pro wrestling is influenced uh, by Tenru. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I love Tenru. He's one of my favorite. He's one of my favorite characters in Jap- Japanese wrestling history. I think he may be, and I, I could be wrong on this, but I feel pretty certain he's one of the only – people to have ever beaten both Anoki and Baba clean. That's a hell of an accomplishment. And he's faced Okada. Oh, yeah. Even <laughs> yeah, even that. And it's um, the last match. He's like, dude, I'm going to put over the king on the last match, man. Yeah, that match, Um, you know, uh, it's good. It's interesting. I mean, um, you know what? I voted than the match of right the year in 2017. Did you? Uh, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I was like, I I have no I I give zero fucks. I was like Tenru and Okada. It was a powerbomb symphony, and I give zero fucks because Tenru is what he means to wrestling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could totally understand that. I mean, I think a lot of people felt the same way with uh, Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels in OA at WrestleMania. Um, I don't think that this match was quite as good as that, but uh, kind of no, no it's not as good. But I was like, I don't care. <laughs> I give zero fucks. Tenru is Tenru. As you say, Tenru wins in all facets. Yeah, it's true. Well, I mean, dude, look at it. Like, look at what happened with, um, you know, when the, the whole split was going to happen and, and it seemed like he was going to play second fiddle in all Japan. I'm just going to get a money mark over here, start Super World Sport. Oh, that's going under. It's not going to work out. All right. Well, I'm just going to start war, war. <laughs> and, you know, um, basically become the biggest super indie in all of Japan and form alliances with, you know, UWFI and New Japan and get, you know, all these benefits. And not only that, but get wins over all the top stars from both companies. 
and you know, oh, you want me to do a, you want me to do an FMW, you know, exploding death wire, you know, that death match with Onita? Okay, I'm not gonna go into any of the death, you know, I'm not gonna take any actual bumps, but we'll do it. We'll draw money. Onita's gonna take all the bumps, and then and I win because I'm Tenor. And then, um, you know, and then after all that, it's like, okay, well, uh, things aren't looking so great. Oh, you need me to come in and save all Japan, you know, years after the fact when, you know, Baba swore I would never be able to work there again. Okay. Oh, you want me to come in and be the triple crown champion, you know, a decade later? Sure. I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. Tenor, tenor, mic drop. <laughs> you, want, you want me to go back to New Japan and win the IWGB title? Okay. Like this guy never loses. <laughs> I think we all learned a valuable lesson today. Tenru never loses. I think on that yeah. note, we should end. We should end on Tenru never loses. Yeah, it's true. Um, thanks for having me on the show here, Danny. Um, Plugs, guys. Yeah, uh, you can find my show. So uh, right after this, I'm going to be recording this week's episode of Keeping Strong Style. We are the longest running episodic, strictly New Japan podcast on the internet today uh we've been going since late 2018 2017 i cannot remember we're it's been a long time but um you can find us here on the social sports podcast network we drop every single tuesday and we cover everything within the realm and the universe of of new japan pro wrestling so in-depth analysis insight uh you know match breakdowns previews reviews we cover all of it and there's a lot of good coverage of New Japan out there, but I guarantee you, you won't find better than keeping a strong style. Um, you can find us on Twitter. We, our handle is at KI Strong Style. Um, you can find us on any streaming service that's out there. If you want to interact with us on Reddit, um, my co-host Jeremy Donovan, he is the pro black guy. I am uh, keeping it strong style. Um, you can also connect with us on uh, Facebook. We host a group called the Wrestling Square Circle. So if you subscribe Very good there, group. you can also uh, interact with us there. And we have a Discord channel. So, I mean, there's yes. a lot of ways to to interact with uh, um, the Social Splits Podcast Network. But, um, again, my name is Joshua Smith, and I am pretty much just the talent. Jeremy handles almost all the, uh, you know, all of our Twitter, all of our social media. I just kind of show up and uh, talk shit and then go home. And Tenru never loses. And I am DJ D Kooks on Twitter. G- great match pod or the great match generated podcast on uh, the social there. And then, um, yeah, that, that's pretty much it for me. Um, so thank you for joining me, Josh. <laughs>